Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? In England, I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale, and never tried it again. I shall continue to oppose efforts to legalize marijuana. Marijuana could very well be one of the most dangerous threats to an entire generation of Americans of any drug that we know. Hello again, hushlings. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike, and as always, we're joined by our smoking buddy, Slick Frank Sanders. What is up, dudes? Smoking doinks and Amish. How you guys doing? I'm doing great. Smoking I'm doing doinks. so well. <laughs> Everything's going great. Yep. Fantastic <laughs> Today is going to be a giggly one. We're going to have fun with this one. Welcome to the season premiere of season three of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. We made it, boys. Kicking down doors like the goddamn DEA, my dude. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it's all no knocks. Uh, I'm excited to raid everyone's brains. (laughs) Welcome back to the Puff Puff Pass Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Hushlings, we hope you joined us for our live show, and if not, hope you caught it late. It was a ton of fun. We covered the Denver airport as well as the Golden Dawn. We had a lot of fun. We did some uh, trivia, had some cool giveaways. It was a great time. That was a good show. Yeah. Had a lot of fun with that one, and hopefully the live show for season three is even grander, because that will be our one-year anniversary as a show. Oh, yeah. If you tuned in to the live show, you already know what the topics are. That's only uh, for the insiders. But you can go back and listen to Debriefing 20 and find out all the information for the live show of Season 3. But that is far off. What are we getting into today, boys? We are packing our pipes and starting Season 3 with a celebratory 420 episode about cannabis conspiracies. But before we burn that bush, we just want to remind you to check out our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have our YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed over there, please go on over, hit that subscribe button, get those notifications for any of our new audio. We also have our cryptid episodes on there. Our declassified discussions will be ramped up this season. We will have major guests on. We'll be talking a lot of UFOs, outer body experiences, weird, weird stuff. This season is going to be very exciting. Also, don't forget about the Hush Drip. We are kicking up the designs over at our Hush store. You can pick up a t-shirt, a hoodie, a coffee mug, a pandemic mask. There's so many things and it just keeps on ever expanding. We'll definitely have some more stuff this season. Yes. More, yes, more odds We will and ends. be branching out. Yeah. Little knickknacks. Knickknacks, you know. Furniture. <laughs> Appliances. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're gonna <laughs> buy your Hush Hush Society Keurig here and only Yo, here. <laughs> we should do a coffee brand. 
Let's get into these marijuana conspiracies. First, we have to talk about hemp. If you want to get into marijuana, you have to start at the base with hemp. And the history of hemp is very long and detailed and ultimately outlines what marijuana becomes today. Historical data has shown us that cultures of the past like Asia, India, and Europe utilized the cannabis plant for both industrial and medical benefits. In 2737 BC, Chinese Emperor Shen Nung wrote about the benefits of using cannabis for medicinal purposes. Chinese farmers were growing cannabis to harvest its fiber and oils, which they used to make clothing, rope, and paper. With time, China became a major world exporter of hemp-related products like baskets, scrolls, and textiles, which were sold along the famous Silk Road, which probably isn't the Silk Road that you're familiar with. Not the, not the, yeah, not the bad internet one. Although you can get hemp products there now, right? (laughs) (laughs) Very high quality hemp products. Around 3000 BC, the ancient Egyptian culture was also very reliant on the plant in terms of its medicinal and spiritual purposes, and they had been for centuries prior. Traces of hemp have even been found in ancient Egyptian mummies. The plant received frequent mentions in Egyptian hieroglyphs, they called it in their language Sheshemet. I like that better. I'm just going to use that from now on. Sheshemet. Yeah. Pack a little Sheshemet. Yeah. <laughs> the finest Sheshemet in all the land. The ancient Egyptian culture was not only a consumer of cannabis, they also were one of the biggest exporters of their time, expanding the plant around their trading partners along the Nile River. This leads us to India, where cannabis culture is rich and very long in tradition. The popular term ganja derives from this culture. Throughout the high history of India, cannabis has never been outlawed and still isn't to this day. As a matter of fact, all Indian medical students learn in detail about properties of healing of the powers of cannabis. Even the Indian religious beliefs are intertwined with the plant as it is infused with water and used at their temples in a spiritual tradition. These are only a few examples of cultures around the world that consumed, traded, and thrived on the plant freely and legally for over 8,000 years. You know, my first thought on if you look back on the history and how it's a medicinal thing and how it's a naturally grown plant and how it's used in all these spiritual practices how did we come to a point in this world where it is like vilified to the levels of crack cocaine and heroin yeah i see where you're getting at if you were a kid in school learning this in history instead of dare for example yeah i was just gonna say if you were learning this instead i can't see how how you could view marijuana or hemp as they've instilled in into our heads it's just such a pillar of of historical trade and life Mm. all over the world yeah yeah globally It's very much a worldwide thing. And thinking about the history, when you talk about 8,000 years, so 8,000 years of a plant existing and being traded and used and put to different uses throughout all this time. Yeah, that we know of. So 8,000 years on record, exactly. That's still pretty staggering. But looking at that, there has never been a single marijuana death. There's never been somebody who has died from marijuana consumption. People who will argue you about cannabis, they'll be like, oh, well, that person was stoned when they were driving. Yeah, well, they might have been, but their blood alcohol level was through the roof as well. I don't think people understand that marijuana goes hand in hand with other things. It's literally like smoking a cigarette and coffee. Same thing. People mix that substance 
more often with other substances because it's not a major reactive substance compared to alcohol or cocaine or something like that. But when something happens like that, you can't directly no, blame But people cannabis. do. It's not from that alone. Like you said, no deaths from consumption alone. There's no overdoses. There's no, nothing like that. Nobody has ever smoked themselves to death. You could correlate and say, okay, well, somebody was stoned and they went out and drove. Okay, that person was under the influence of a substance and drove when they clearly were not supposed to be driving. Yeah. That's more of an advocate for driving under the influence than, than it is for anti-marijuana. How about not getting behind the wheel of any kind of machinery, let alone a vehicle, when you are impaired in any way, whether you're drunk or high or whatever? Mm -hmm. But that's another talk, another day. Now that you've got a brief overview of the history of the plant around the world, let's focus a little bit more on here in the U.S., the history of the plant here. Like many other early cultures... The Native Americans had also cultivated hemp for thousands of years. They used it in food, medicine, thread, cordage, clothes, and paper, things like many other ancient cultures did. The early British American colonies grew tons of the stuff to supply massive shipbuilding facilities like one in Massachusetts, for example. It was used mainly to manufacture sails and ropes for these early Navy ships. Even our founding fathers understood the crop's potential. George Washington and Thomas Jefferson both produced hemp products and urged the rest of the nation to do the same. These guys are saying, do it. Why don't they write it down? <laughs> Should have wrote it down. Well, they did. Fun fact. He wrote the draft of the Declaration of Independence on hemp. How ironic is that? Uh, he wrote... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Although by the end of the 19th century, the paper industry had swapped cannabis with wood. Poor cannabis. As was the case with cotton, and it was a major economic decision. Well, as mentioned before, how did we come so far to take this plant that was used in so many different ways and make it illegal? Well, restrictions on cannabis use for medical, recreational, and industrial reasons took off in most states in the United States around 1906. This is when the Pure Food and Drug Act was passed by Congress. The law required certain drugs, including cannabis, to be accurately labeled. This led to individual states to passing their own laws regulating cannabis and cannabis-derived products. In 1930, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics was formed as a way to outlaw and control recreational drugs. The Bureau was led by Harry J. Anslinger, who is often referred to as the father of cannabis prohibition. Later in 1932, the U.S. passed the Uniform State Narcotic Act, which essentially called for all states to unite against the traffic of narcotic drugs, which managed trafficking under uniform nationwide laws. This led to the possession or transfer of marijuana for recreational uses officially becoming prohibited under federal law in 1937 under the Marijuana Tax Act. The tax bill did not make hemp illegal, but it placed a lot of restrictions on its use, effectively prohibiting. It. In 1970, the Tax Act was replaced by the Controlled Substance Act, which categorized controlled substances under five schedules based on their danger and risk of addiction, Schedule 1 being deemed the most dangerous and addictive. Cannabis was listed as a substance under this act. Schedule 1 substances are described as having a high potential for addiction, no currently medicinal uses, and completely unsafe. And cannabis is still federally a Schedule 1 substance in 2021. Yes. 
up along with heroin, right next to heroin. I don't think a lot of people even realize that. There are a lot of people that just kind of say, okay, marijuana is illegal, but do you realize that under the scheduling of these drugs, it is in the same classification as crack cocaine and heroin? Yes. There's literally been, I can think of a couple examples of Schedule 5 drugs, which by this definition are deemed the least dangerous and the least addictive Mm. physically that have killed a lot of people. Mm. Codeine cough syrup being one of them. It's a Schedule 5 drug, but it's heavily addictive and it's really bad for you. People have overdosed and died on it. You know, it kills your liver. There are prescription drugs that caused or were the start of the opioid crisis in America that are on a lower schedule than marijuana. Just think about that for a second. There are people that are going to listen to this episode that say, oh, marijuana is bad. Marijuana sucks. It's terrible. It's bad for you. And you're entitled to your opinion. If you believe that marijuana is bad for you, that is of your opinion. But you do have to recognize fact. It is a drug that does not belong in a schedule one setting. It's very strange, too, because depending on where you live in this country, it's either an afterthought or it's like the number one fight to keep it out of some small town. You can be here in California. It's been legal here since 1996. Here, it's an afterthought. On a state level, and a county level, and a city level, depending on where you're at, all the laws are different. But recreationally, you can come in here from any state, be over 21 years old, and walk into a retailer that sells pot. But you can go into another state, and they don't even have it. medically, which is becoming ever more rare in this country, having a state that doesn't have medical marijuana now. But once all 50 states become recreational and medical, how are they going to not change the federal laws? That's what's always been confusing when it comes to drugs. We'll stay within that realm. There's a lot of other things that can apply to this. But within the realm of drug laws, states can differ from federal. That's where you get the dispensaries that can't legally store their money within banks. You can't accept credit cards or any kind of credit transactions within dispensaries. That type of stuff is really making marijuana dispensary and that whole industry kind of dangerous in a way. You're sitting on cash. Yeah, especially for people that own dispensaries. They do sit on just pure cash. Places make millions of dollars a day. Yeah, and they don't have a way to store that cash. And then on top of it all, you can be completely within your state's rights of owning owning a dispensary and selling marijuana recreationally or medicinally to the citizens of that state and still have the federal government raid you and come in and steal your stuff and confiscate your money and put you in jail if they really wanted to under the federal law. It doesn't really make sense that the states are allowed to make it legal, but the federal government can still sit here and say, well, it's illegal. Yeah, that's not right. On a federal level, they should be looking at it more objectively. Especially in the medicinal purposes. It's crazy. Everybody has social media. I'm not going to say any names about it, but I followed this one Instagram and I followed it for eight years. And it's a small kid. I think he was like two years old when, when the Instagram was started. And the mother gives this kid homemade cannabis oil. And the kid's cancer free for like the last four years. Mm-hmm. And that's it. No chemo, nothing. And that's just one example, but still like the medicinal purposes just for the CBD aspect of the plant. There's so many aspects and there's so many things about the plant that I think people don't understand and don't get the science of it. 
It's literally like drinking a beer and being like, I don't give a shit what's in this. Just get me drunk. That's what they think most potheads are. And most people that are in this, whether you're a cannabis connoisseur or just somebody who smokes here and there or somebody who's fully full blown in the industry, even with it being as much of an afterthought in states like California and probably Colorado and Washington and Oregon and stuff, having it just walking into a store willy nilly that looks like a coffee shop with glass cases and marijuana everywhere from literally candy to drinks and still knowing that it's probably one of the most dangerous industries to be involved in. You make the point that the government should care a little bit more because of its medicinal purposes, but when you look at how they actually classify these drugs and what's legal and what isn't, it's obvious to me that they're not so concerned with the actual medicinal benefits nor how it affects people's health. If anything, I feel like they should be more willing to accept it and not go raid to dispensaries and stuff because it brings in tax revenue. Marijuana gets taxed at these dispensaries. Very high percentage tax. But that would be a state sales tax. It wouldn't be a federal tax. From what I've seen, it's state tax, county tax, city tax. Even if it's a state tax, you're bringing money into a state that is in your country, incentivizing people to maybe want to move to that state, which in turn would bring the federal government tax money in some way, shape or form. Wouldn't be some shit if the federal government was still taxing marijuana as it was illegal. (laughs) Which, funny enough, they still tax the businesses. Mm -hmm. So dispensaries and growers and any manufacturers of marijuana products that run a business still have to pay federal taxes. How do you make that bridge of your illegal... But essentially, we're taxing your illegal drugs. That's like (laughs) back in the 80s when the government and centralized banks were saying it was okay to do business with cocaine dealers and cocaine manufacturers because it was bringing them millions and millions upon billions of dollars every year. They were kind of turning a blind eye to it. The government is kind of doing the same thing right now with marijuana. They can, to the face of their citizens, say marijuana is illegal. It's an illegal substance. We're totally against it. But in the background, they're collecting tax revenue from these businesses and pretty much extorting them of their money and product. They're also making money by putting people in prison with it. Yep. That's one thing that, that is vastly misunderstood is that how can you have multiple states that have fully legalized this thing are making money off of it. It's a multi-billion dollar industry at this point, but you still have people that are in federal and state prisons that are serving sentences for marijuana possession or marijuana sales. In those same states where you can walk into this into in a In the store. same exact states. Yep. yep. It's just the icing on the cake of their money grab. We keep talking about how it's come this long way, and you can kind of see how the gears are turning into why we have reached this point. This is where things start to get more interesting and very complex. Harry J. Anslinger, as we previously mentioned, was appointed the head of the U.S. Federal Bureau of Narcotics in 1930. Anslinger's focus cited in on his target of cannabis in 1933, very shortly after alcohol prohibition had ended. Up until this point, Anslinger allegedly said that he had no problem with cannabis, mostly because it didn't hurt anybody or make anyone violent. 
This opinion changed very rapidly once he realized that his huge important department had absolutely nothing to do after the lift on the alcohol ban. Anslinger promptly began to heed warnings to the masses of the population about the terrible effects of cannabis. He said first it would throw you into fits of delirious rage, then you would suffer from erotic dreams and hallucinations before reaching your inevitable endpoint of what a insanity. roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Erotic dreams. Every time you take a hit, you're just like, whoa, here we go. Like, <laughs> I'm going to beat your ass and then I'm going to have a sexy dream about you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then all of a sudden you're in a straitjacket in a padded room, banging your head on the wall, cursing the bong. Marijuana nugs, not even once. <laughs> not even, just say no. Harry became well known for his ridiculous and racist quotes on cannabis and its users. Quotes like, marijuana is the most violent causing drug in the world. Holy shit, dude. And better yet, marijuana users are slaves to this narcotic. Continuing addiction until they deteriorate mentally, become insane, turn violent to crime and murder. Anslinger's go-to case to demonstrate the power of the devil's weed, the wacky tobacco, the devil's lettuce, <laughs> was that of Victor Licata, a boy from Florida who hacked his family to death with an axe. I looked into this case a little bit, and it hasn't been proven that that boy who hacked up his family to death with an axe was under the influence of marijuana whatsoever. He might have smoked pot, but it hasn't been proven that he was high when he did that. Mm. Yeah, that was just his go-to defense. I think the best one is it's the most violent causing drug in the world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to do really violent things when I smoke weed. Has anyone, has anyone ever seen crack in person? Yeah. Or like bath salts? Oh, yeah. man. Can I tell a drug story? Yeah, it's fitting. Sure. Somebody getting real violent? I seen a dude fucking huff computer duster <laughs> and then pass out. Yeah, yeah. This was on the train tracks. He, he then passed out in a puddle of his own throw-up Mountain Dew and, like, Disgusting. saliva drip. And when he woke up, he was really confused and really high, and he ran into his garage and grabbed an, an axe, like a hatchet, and started swinging it violently at everybody around him while they were trying to calm him down. That's a dangerous drug. Whippets? Never shoot computer duster into your nostrils. Yeah. <laughs> Never. No. That's a good one. I, I've seen people like headbutting palm trees, dude. You just know. <laughs> you just. It's obviously the weed. Why don't we go a little deeper? Let's talk about Andrew Mellon. Andrew Mellon was a prominent banker, businessman, industrialist, and politician. He was appointed as the Secretary of the Treasury under both the Harding administration and the Hoover administration. The Mellon man himself, being a big raunchy businessman. He invested his wealth very diversely because he got that big brain energy. He was a principal shareholder of DuPont, meaning he held anywhere from 10 to 50% of the shares of this company, which was a pillar of the lumber industry in the early 1900s. DuPont had new patents in the works for the production of plastics derived from coal and oil, along with patented chemicals used to break down wood pulp to be used for paper. Although, DuPont's patents would be useless if the hemp industry continued in full swing as it was. If only there was a way to squash the competition. <laughs> I wonder. 
Maybe we could but smoke them out? The solution at the time was clear and came through all the smoke for Andrew Mellon. The Secretary of Treasury had no other option but to appoint his future son-in-law, Harry Anslinger, who we talked about before, as the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. This is a family affair. Everything <laughs> that comes down as law or comes down as some sort of attack on a product or a thing all starts with an investment in its competition. That's all it boils mm -hmm. down to. It's like why we're so invested in oil versus the many different proven ways that we can go oilless in this world is because there are people that own major shares in these companies and would lose millions or billions of dollars if we got away from those things. And those people have massive pull in our government and military, and here we are fighting for these products. I just want to spoke some pot, man. Poke some smart. <laughs> it's weird because we talk about the government in this and they make all these bills and things like here in California, the bill that was proposed, I think in the nineties was SB 420. That's what you have. That's <laughs> what, yeah, that's what you have 420. Mm. And, but there's, there's all these other laws in the state to where if you live in California, you know, and if you visited California, you know, not to get off the rails a little bit, but it's the same thing with drugs. If you see homeless people doing drugs in public, like in front of a 7-Eleven, just dude ripping out a crack pipe, you can call the police mm -hmm. and they'll say, okay. But if you, a hushling, went out there with a crack pipe, got your monster energy and just sat outside and was like, you know what? I'm going to smoke some crack. You'd go to jail because you have a house. I, I don't know the actual, <laughs> the actual bill, but the people in the state voted this in to where it's legal, they're not really caring about the heavy drug users. But if you're a functioning member of the society, you'll get locked up for it. It's strange. That's wild. Yeah. Well, that's because they want you to stay on the straight and narrow. They want you to keep paying your taxes. Yep. They don't want you vaccinating yourself under a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, there's a vaccination station under uh, the underpass. <laughs> I've never seen one in a tent like that. It's usually in like the white banquet tents, but that's a Coleman tent. But that's okay. I'll, I'll pop on in. We can all pass this vaccination around. <laughs> we can share this. Hushlings, we will return after these brief messages. Let's start with the basics. You were in the slave ship, paying for your grave, hard labor with low wages. We the 99% only get half, and 1% get the other. How the fuck that makes sense? On 9 11, they blew up towers to wage wars. For that reason, Islam began hate since. Video proof of the bombs popping on each floor. With Saudi terrorists, but where was that invasion? This episode, we here at the Husho Society are featuring music from Reeve Kalel an independent hip-hop artist. Reeves' lyrics are thought-provoking and are indicative of an open-minded artist. You can find Reeves' music on Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and also on TikTok. Hey, motherfucker, it's just phase one. But phase three, gonna run all day. Expect us. Yeah. Expect us. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Newspaper Baron William Randolph Hearst owned vast acres of woodlands, and it is said that he, DuPont, Anslinger, and Mellon were all set to lose from cannabis due to its ease of growth and quality, so they all came together to try to get rid of it. It's like the 
douchebag Avengers. Sounds oddly familiar to J.P. Morgan in the scheme of the Titanic. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it keeps ringing that bell That's what I'm me. saying. If you want to take out the competition, all you got to do is either kill people or come up with laws. It's one of the two. Mm-hmm. Never mind good old competition and proving that your product is better than the other. No, just kill people and put people in jail. Ugh. Well, Hearst had invested millions in technology for processing wood into paper at the time, and with stationers starting to favor hemp stocks for their paper, Hearst's investments were in jeopardy. One of the biggest things to put Hearst's business into jeopardy was the invention of the decorticator. Decorticator helps to process and manufacture hemp a lot quicker. So in the 30s, when hemp was of no consequence to these businessmen, it was being processed by hand, which was a very slow, ongoing process. The decorticator essentially cut that time into nothing. It could process tons and tons of hemp much faster, do an entire day's work within an hour. With the invention of the decorticator is where Hearst really started to get worried that his business was going to be overrun by the hemp business. All they really had going for them in the lumber industry was the fact that it took so long to process the hemp. They had the cost effectiveness of lumber paper and the speed at which they could produce it. Although the hemp product, their competition, was of much higher quality, but it was more expensive due to the manufacturing process of it. It took longer. They had to pay people for more hours to produce it, in turn making it more expensive. So with that invention of the decorticator, it would bring manufacturing hours down, most likely bringing the price down, and that that would be the end of it. Hmm that it would be better quality and cheaper. William Hearst would then go on to introduce yellow journalism as a force in America. That is a sensationalist journalism with clickbait headlines where the factual contents of the story were an afterthought, just like the modern term fake news. The perfect example of this is reporting on a car crash where a marijuana cigarette was found. The story made front pages for weeks while alcohol-related crashes were pushed to the back pages even though they were 10,000 times more common. Another example would be a ridiculous headline from Hearst's paper that read, If the hideous monster Frankenstein came face-to-face with the monster marijuana, he would drop dead of fright. (laughs) That's right, folks. You heard it here first. Frankenstein is scared of a plant. Like, if Frankenstein's scared of it, you should be too. And people ate that shit up. People ate it up, man. Well, I mean, look at at now. They could literally come out with everything that's going on, and if they decided to reverse all their marijuana stuff and their uh, every all the laws that they've done, this country would be, there'd be half of it that would be like, yep, I told you, it's the devil. There would still be people out there that fight against it wholeheartedly and think that it's the worst thing that could possibly happen in this country. Uh, I have a list of a thousand other things that are making this country worse. We can't talk about pot without the real war on drugs. In June of 1971, Nixon officially declared a war on drugs, stating that drug abuse was public enemy number one. Nixon went on to create the Drug Enforcement Administration, or the DEA, in 1973. This agency is a special police force committed to targeting illegal drug use and smuggling in the United States. During a 1994 interview, President Nixon's domestic policy chief, John Ehrlichman, 
provided inside information suggesting that the war on drugs campaign had ulterior motives. No shit. Ehrlichman had gone on to say that the Nixon campaign had two enemies, quote, the anti-war left and black people, end quote. His comments led many others to question Nixon's intentions in advocating for drug reform and whether racism played a role. Ehrlichman was quoted as saying, quote, We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. End quote. That jumps into racism. Yeah. The prohibition against a lot of drugs, and especially marijuana, did also stem from a lot of racism. When they were trying to make marijuana illegal, that's where they came up with the term marijuana. It was a Mexican term for cannabis. They started to associate marijuana with Mexicans and illegals, and then there were outrageous claims that African Americans high on marijuana would try to rape your white women. Mm -hmm. And there were many, many other things that they associated marijuana use with African Americans and Mexicans. It was not only that they were trying to make it illegal, but they were also trying to align it with the racism that had gone on in America in the 30s. So how do you vilify something? You just team it up with something else that you're vilifying, or that is already vilified. That's where a lot of the things that came decades later had come to fruition, especially with the mass incarceration of African Americans for drug charges, or Hispanics for drug charges. Actions that led to worse and worse things happening to that population of people. All because of some guy wanting his newspapers to be made with paper. Well, it sounds like this one guy, like, you know, 30, 40 years later, they knew exactly what they were doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was no mistake about it. They were intentionally vilifying certain communities of people. It's a well-known fact that Nixon was a racist. So oh, yeah. for this type of stuff to come out from people that worked closely with him and his administration is not very surprising. Kind of goes in line with what we already knew of Nixon. And this continues into the 80s with the Reagan administration. And it really set this country down a certain path that was kind of a domino effect that we're still feeling today. Even still, dare... I remember D.A.R.E. in the 90s in elementary school, and it was dominantly, they, they touched on other drugs, but dominantly about pot. Mm -hmm. I think they disbanded D.A.R.E. No, I saw a dude the other day standing outside of a grocery store wearing a D.A.R.E. t-shirt and pamphlets, like one of them Salvation really? Army Santas. D.A.R.E. still exists, but now they've taken an open stance on marijuana yeah. in a completely different light. They used to throw around the term, and I'm sure everybody's heard it, is marijuana is a gateway drug. Yes. Meaning mm. that you would smoke marijuana and then you would move on to crack and then you would move yeah, you on to heroin and then you would move. Yeah. And, uh, and marijuana just led you down this path where every other drug was open to you and brought down your, in your inhibitions. And you went from some kid who was smoking a joint in the alleyway to some druggie living on the corner passed out. Dare, along with the war on drugs and along with a lot of the prohibitions and laws that they put into place with drugs, 
was very detrimental to this country. It was detrimental to the mindset of those growing up in the 80s and 90s when D.A.R.E. was in its inception, and that carried on to people's thoughts today. There are still people out there that believe that marijuana is a gateway drug. And where did they learn that? They learned that from their sixth grade class standing in front of a D.A.R.E. officer and them saying that marijuana was the alpha and the omega of all the drugs that you could ever get into. Yep. That's crazy to me because, like, I, I mean, I'm sure if you asked somebody who was, say, addicted to crack cocaine, if they had smoked a joint before. They'd probably say yeah. They'd probably mm -hmm. say yeah. But that doesn't make it a gateway drug because I could almost guarantee you 98% of the population that does consume weed probably don't partake in other hard drugs like that. Yeah. Once you're into something like crack cocaine, I mean, you're not going to marijuana. That's like that would be like a desperation move. It's it's a whole nother level. That goes along with correlation is not causation. Mm -hmm. Just because somebody smoked pot and then moved on to crack cocaine does not mean that the marijuana was the reason that they did the, the crack cocaine. No. But with D.A.R.E. and a lot of these other drug programs that went on during the 80s and 90s and even to the early 2000s, that was exactly what they passed on as information to us, our generation, your kids' generation, whatever it may be, your parents' generation, depending on how young you are. It's no wonder that we as Americans and a lot of the citizens of this country still believe those stigmas about marijuana. Brainwash. Despite the thousands of studies providing the medical benefits of marijuana, which includes treatment of neuropathic and chronic pain, there are still many people that oppose its legalization within the pharmaceutical community. Global pharmaceutical companies continue to block moves to make marijuana completely legal. Are they afraid that their medicines will no longer have a place on the market? Or are they scared of the possible competition that cannabis will hold against them? Valid questions. The biggest reason why Big Pharma is against medical marijuana legalization is the emergence of new competitors that will have a potential negative impact on their profitability. Big Pharma is built on monopolies, patents, and arbitrary pricing of prescription drugs. It's a business model designed to produce massive profit. Free medication growing in backyards will absolutely harm pharmaceutical bottom lines. This fear is the foundation of Big Pharma's grudge against marijuana. The thing is, cannabis can't be monopolized, so Big Pharma fights against it to protect their profits. It is very true if you look at Big Pharma right now, this has kind of been something that's in the news for a while, is price gouging of medications. Mm -hmm. Look at insulin. Insulin, I don't know if that issue can be solved with cannabis. I don't know. It can't. But still, that's detrimental, that's theft, and that should be illegal. To go to someone who's been paying something like $10 a pill, pills that they need to take three or four times a day, and then you go to them and you say, okay, well, this pill price has changed. Now it's $500 a pill. How mm -hmm. can you go to a regular person, a, a normal person who's not a millionaire, who's not a CEO of, this of a big company and say, look, you're going to be paying $2,000 a day every day for the rest of your life so that you can live? Because this pill that cost me 34 cents to make, I really want more money out of. And that's something that you can't do with marijuana. You can't go and say, okay, well, this specific strain, every single gram of it is going to now be $1,500 a gram. Because like we said, you could grow something yourself in your own backyard. 
Yep. You could grow it inside your house. And on top of these other things, that one strain that's helping you for whatever your medicinal reason is, there's 10 other strains or 50 other strains that do the, the exact same thing. Big Pharma can't get their hands on a single strain and price gouge it because there are all these other strains and there's all this ease of access to all these other strains. And let's be honest, the black market of marijuana will never go away. Never. It'll never go away. You could legalize it tomorrow and there will still be those dealers that buy it from growers and they sell it to you at a discount, really, because you're not paying taxes on it. You don't have a, a state mandated price. And if it became federally legal, a federally mandated price. So that market will always exist. It's weird, too, because the big pharma part goes hand in hand with the fact that you're making money off of people spending money on these drugs to stay alive. But you're also making money in hospitalizing people and incarcerating people that are either completely addicted to some of these drugs. Pain medication, for example, just take Percocet, for example, the amount of things that you can do with weed that you can do with Percocet without having the adverse effects on your liver, even the addictive properties. You don't see people eating pot brownies and then fiending for it later. Yeah, selling their television just so yeah. that they can go get more. Yeah. The farthest I think anybody has gone has been like, dude, I got to go coin star that jar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are those people that will say, well, you know, my Percocet does something that marijuana can't do. It eases my pain. To those people, I would say, have you ever had a thousand milligram anything? Because you're not feeling anything after that. <laughs> or like roll a bigger joint or a blunt or something. <laughs> like that's pack, pack a couple more bowls. I don't know. That's the thing that this big pharmaceutical companies need to be worried about too is that once this becomes more recreational and more retail based in a sense, I mean it's commercialized really now. Mm -hmm. There's major beer companies that are – putting THC in their beers now. You can go to these places and not only get the actual just flour itself, joints and stuff, but you can buy candy and cookies and tinctures and concentrated stuff and, and anything from... Capsules. Yeah, like this is the other thing that people don't get either is that this isn't your boomer weed anymore. It's not like 8% THC that's in high times 1972. It's probably a large cause of the problem for these older people that are potentially addicted to opioids and not seeing marijuana as an option. They probably can't imagine it because like you said, back when they were younger and before their hypothetical addiction, the weed that was around, boof, it's mid-pack, like it's <laughs> dirt. You got the stuff today, like you said, the concentrates and whatnot that are so incredibly potent. Up to almost 100% THC, you're dealing with high percentages of stuff. And I mean, if you give somebody that, it's going to put you on your ass. I've obviously been on Percocet through certain injuries and stuff, and this shit makes me sick. It just messes you up in your stomach and your, your liver. And when you're eating cannabis, there are some chemical reactions that happen because it's very different from smoking it. But I think a lot of these people that are addicted to these pharmaceutical drugs like you know Percocet, especially pain pills, you can definitely get them off of that if they were given the right tools with this instead of just saying, oh, well, I don't want to hallucinate. Well, you're not gonna. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, you might if you eat a thousand milligrams of weed, you might hallucinate. You might get really violent and want to hurt people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Allegedly. That also is part of the misconceptions that people have been led to believe their entire lives, like we've been talking yep. about. 
There are people that are very, very stuck in what they, they think they know. Well, I learned in fifth grade that marijuana does this and it does that and it makes you stupid and, and whatever else. It makes you stupid. There's so many things and it's come such a long way since what you have maybe learned that you need to relearn. Find out the information that they kept from you or find out what misinformation you were fed. That's neither here nor there. People are going to do what they want to do. But before we get into our final thought, just so that you can go away with some hard facts, 12% of Americans are identified as, quote, current users, which you would think is a very, very low number. Previous to that stat, you probably thought that everybody in America was smoking weed. The trend has stayed pretty much steady since 2013 to current day, varying only by 1% or 2%. 22% of Americans aged 18 to 25 use marijuana in the past month at the time of taking this survey, obviously. Cannabis consumers are diversified through gender, nearing almost 50%. As of 2020, the last time it was taken, 48% of women are users and 52% of men. When it comes down to the sales of medical and recreational marijuana, the numbers are kind of the same across. Uh, you have Gen Z, which is 17% of buyers. Millennials are 42%. We hold the highest percentage. Gen X is 23%. Boomers are 17%. And the silent generation are 1%. The silent generation, I guess, is super old. Can't talk anymore. <laughs> uh, nationwide sales increased 67% in 2020. And people stocked up on cannabis to the tune of nearly $18 billion in the year 2020. Well, that was the quarantine period, too, so... Would that make it higher or lower? That would definitely make it higher. Can they close down the dispensaries? They didn't here. For, like, the shutdowns, wouldn't they be considered... They're essential. Essential businesses? Yeah. 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 At least here in California, they're, they're essential businesses. Recreational use is legal in 12 U.S. states as of January 2021. I believe New York just added to that, so it's 13. For individuals over the age of 21, California, Alaska, Oregon, Washington, Maine, Colorado, Nevada, Vermont, Michigan, Massachusetts, Illinois, and Arizona, plus the uh, District of Columbia. And currently in the year 2021, we are at an all-time high of 68% support from Americans to fully legalize marijuana. And that rose from 66%. Wow. Medical use, which is not the same as recreational use, obviously, is now legal in 34 states. I will not list 34 states for you. But that's just we'll a... Up. Yeah. The, the current U.S. cannabis industry is worth $61 billion, with a big B, billion dollars, and it's estimated to be worth $100 billion by 2030. Cash cow. Just some facts for you, in case you were wondering. Let's get into final thoughts. David? My thoughts on this? I think we're almost there. Damn near. But there's a part of me that thinks that it's never going to go away. If you're going to have certain people in, in politics and certain things written and then certain industries like the pharmaceutical companies, I mean, they're going to fight to the end. This is the thing, though. It can go like, like we said previously. You can make it go recreationally and medicinally in every single state in this country. But if they don't change the scheduling, no progress. You're still getting arrested for it in certain states. It's very strange. It's never made sense why it's illegal. This is just the tip of the iceberg of this whole discussion of the plant being legal, illegal, how the government sees it. 
how certain companies see it. I think we're on to something, people. But it's still going to be a while, I think. Think about how long it's taken just from a state like California from 1996 to now. And we're still dealing with it. You would have thought that right after that snowball, that if California did it in the 90s, every other state was going to probably follow at some point. And they didn't. My final thought, make it legal. Stop brainwashing people and making them stupid. I will also mirror those sentiments. I do believe we've moved from the point of if it will become legal to when it will become legal. As we stated, two-thirds of our population support the legalization of marijuana. It is not this drug that they have portrayed and turned into this big green monster. It's helped a lot of people. It's helped children, epileptic children, cancer children, everywhere in between of patients. For the medicinal uses alone, it should be legalized. Yeah. Look past the recreational part of it. Sure. Recreationally, it's great. It's fun. It makes you feel better. It takes away a lot of fucking stress. And it's better than me sitting here drinking five or six highballs after work and getting plastered drunk and destroying my liver. There's never been a death from it. There's never been any kind of hospitalization or anything like that besides those people that had some sort of anxiety attack from it, thought they were dying. <laughs> it's very surprising to go through and see the reasoning behind it becoming illegal. The smear campaigns that it went through throughout the decades, starting even in the 30s, and that carried on to today. Here we are 90 years later. 90 years, we have looked at a plant and said it is the end-all be-all for the drug problems in our country, and it's just simply not true. And whether they legalize it or they decriminalize it, either way, we need to release those people that have been incarcerated because of these marijuana charges and let those people go free. We have an industry that is making billions of dollars and... We still have people that are in jail after years and years of possession charges. Well, that's the end all. That's the full circle point. You have to you, you can't win this unless those people are out. Can't make billions of dollars off of something and still turn around and say that you deserve to be in jail for something that we're making money off of. What makes you any different than the drug dealer that's been in jail for 20 years? You're doing the same thing, just on a larger scale. Frank? Frank's final thought. I absolutely can't say it any better, but I'm just going to do my frank thing and give you my final thoughts. It seems as though since the beginning of human civilization as we know it, we've been taking advantage and harvesting plants. Hemp just being a very, very, very pivotal one. It's served its purpose, and that's for sure. Why the government vilified it, it was for greedy reasons and fallacies and subjective opinions and bigotry, none of it based off of fact. There were no hash-slinging slashers chopping up their families with axes after smoking a joint. In the sense of legalization, full recreational and medicinal legalization, if I had to put a time frame on it, I would probably give it another 15 to 20 years, honestly, because we will have these older people that still have this 
stigma instilled in their mind that it's the devil's plant and that they have high ranks in Congress and our government. And as the years go on, we're going to have more of these millennials and Gen Z people making their way into the government as the older people make their way out. And I I can't help but feel like these generations are a little bit more open-minded to the plant and they're more open to the benefits of it, both medicinally and recreationally for the population. Not only that, but they'll be able to see the financial benefits that we can reap from it as a country. Let's just hope that these big cigarette companies don't get their dirty mitts on it. That's all I have to say. I just hope that Marlboro and Newport, that they don't get their hands on marijuana once it does become fully legalized and bad things happen all over again to it. In a nutshell, those are my final thoughts. All right. That was one hell of a smoking session. Yeah. Oh, Conspiracy Kush. Shout out Conspiracy Kush, the strain of the Husha Society Conspiracy Hour. If you are a producer of Conspiracy Kush, please reach out to us and let us sponsor you or you sponsor us or just just let us come hang out. Um, <laughs> that is going to do it for our marijuana conspiracy episode and episode one of season three. Thank you for coming back. We are super jazzed about this season. We have a lot of things lined up that are going to be pretty awesome. As for you, what do you think about the marijuana conspiracy? Did we miss any research? Did we fudge something up? Please reach out to us. You can email us at hushhushsociety at planetmail.com. You can also reach out to us on our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Shout us out. Drop us a line. Let us know how you're doing, how we're doing. One other thing, please feel free to go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you can leave us a show review and please do so. Whether it be you hate our show or you love our show, please let us know. It helps us to become a better show for you, for us, and for the society. And Hushlings, check out our Hush Hush Apparel store. It's the drippiest of drip. You can check that out at hushhushsociety.bigcartel.com. Dot com. Very easy to find us. Or just search Hush Hush Society. You'll find us. Don't worry. And Hushlings, tune in in two weeks for Debriefing 22, the well-awaited <laughs> Flat Earth. We're doing it. It's happening. So join us Monday, May 3rd for Flat Earth. Get, get ready to get kooky. We're getting kooky. Strap into that hot air balloon over the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Well, Hushlings, thank you for joining us for our premiere episode of Season 3. I am Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Thanks for tuning in to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Roll them up and smoke them, roll them up and smoke them. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.